own program. And that is a direct order. I'm going to have this fool around here. <laughs> yes, and here's the star of our show. And uh, you are ordered. Uh, oh, uh, before we get started here, I don't like to uh, frighten you too much, Art. Uh, before we get started here, uh, I have a thing here. It just came in off the news wire. It says, uh, by George, this is uh, from Moscow. The, the Soviet news agency reported that a Siberian salamander. Now, you've seen a salamander. You know, it's like a little lizard. Uh, Tass, the Soviet news agency, reported that a Siberian salamander finally decided to wake up after his winter's hibernation. It just came through. There's only thing wrong with it. The, the hibernation uh, was a little different than the usual type. This salamander has been asleep for over 100 years. Did you hear what I said? A little bugger's 100 years old. And uh, it said that this salamander was found by gold miners in a block of ice 36 feet underground. That sounds like a lot of politicians that I know been asleep for 100 years found in a block of ice. <laughs> you, that. Uh, you know, I, I thought of this. I said, oh, my God, this little thing is, is waking up. And, uh, you know, let's face it, even salamanders must have thoughts. I mean, even though uh, we often don't consider what the thought of a squirrel is or a rabbit or a turtle, I mean, here's this poor little guy who fell asleep a hundred years ago. And he's just, just crawled down into this cave, you know, there's a little, must have been a little water down there, you know, and he's, uh, he's uh, knocking off for the winter. They, they hibernate, you know, during the winter, like frogs and turtles, you know, they do that. Uh, you know that the toad hibernates during the winter. Well, I mean, let's face it, man also, in a sense, hibernates during the winter. What do you think all that stuff with Miami Beach is? You know? <laughs> I mean, let's face it, you know. <laughs> we also have the same instincts. Uh, have you ever vaguely envied bears? Do you remember when you were a kid, you used to read about bears and how the bear in the wintertime? Yeah, you remember that? You know, you'd read about this stuff, and they would talk about the bear, how, how all... During the fall, he would eat all kinds of berries and stuff and, and uh, get real fat uh, because he was going to sleep all winter. And uh, sure enough, when the first snow would come, the bear would creep away to his uh, place where he was going to hibernate and he would pull the leaves after him or something and he would curl up and go to sleep the whole winter. I mean, that's fantastic. I mean, you know, and I used to think about that as a kid. You're, you're, you're especially when you get up at the you know, like 7 o'clock in the morning, you go to school, and the temperature's about 20 degrees, and the wind is blowing, and, and then you feel rotten, and they give you that oatmeal, and, uh, <laughs> you know, oh, wow. I mean, it kind of makes the bear's life look pretty good. And the idea of a bear hibernating, just snoozing away there all winter, and uh, he comes out only in the springtime. He's, you know, he, he, that's uh, the bear is not such a dumb creature. Well... The idea of this poor little bucker, you know, this little salamander sneaking away. And and uh, he goes down into a cave there. And a little, you know, they always go down underground. This is where, this is where frogs and toads and stuff like that hibernate. And he goes down on the ground like that, see. And uh, he curls up in this mud. And it freezes over like it always does in the Siberian winter. But it doesn't unfreeze. Poor little bugger, you know. Year after year. Decade after decade goes by. He's sleeping where? Well, then along comes these Soviet miners. See, they're digging way there, and up comes this block of ice. And inside, 100 years, I don't know it was 100 years, I don't know. 
but it's <laughs> like a block of ice. 100 years later, it's this poor little salamander. And so they, they said, well, put it over there on the radiator and see what happens. So they put it on the radiator and it starts to melt. Well, of course, the salamander, like the bear, whenever it starts getting warm, he stretches, he wakes up, he walks out, starts looking out for it. The first thing he looks for is a mate. That's the first thing. He, and that's the true of most of us. That's true of most of us. Uh, <laughs> you agree with that, Art? <laughs> and it isn't because uh, you're looking for companionship. It goes a little deeper than that. And the first thing <laughs> Salamander does is wake up after 100 years. He looks around. Holy God! What the, what the hell is this? Yeah, yeah, what? What the hell is this, you know? He, he looks around. <laughs> oh, man. Let's have a little music here. Salute that salamander. Been asleep. Oh, there you go, salamander. He's been asleep. For a hundred, a hundred long years. And now, he's awake. He's looking around, trying to figure out what the hell is going on in this neighborhood. Salamanders everywhere. I just wonder how many people have been asleep for all their lives. And are now suddenly waking up after a whole life of hibernation. A little juice out here. Do you like that sound? You do, huh? Not bad. Uh, not bad. Uh, that, uh, you know, I, I, I remember. Now, I may be, I may be, uh, I may be uh, inventing again that, you know, I got this problem. I think all of us have this problem of uh, when you've seen enough movies in your life, and I would just be that. That brings up an interesting point. Very interesting point. Just something occurred to me. Just take the average person. You are, Jerry, me, you know, guys walking around. Just people in this life. 20th century, right? We're all 20th century men. Now, being 20th century men, and particularly American 20th century men, that's a very important difference because... Uh, if you were, say, living in the 20th century in Tibet, uh, <laughs> you're in another century in a way. You really are. Uh, chronologically, you may be in the 20th century, but philosophically and actually, you may be in another century. And I'm not at this point going to say whether or not you may be very well living in the 27th century if you're living in Tibet. You know, that's a possibility. Has it occurred to you? what we call backward people may well be the people of the future? Has that occurred to you? In other words, instead of saying, well, he's living in the 4th century, he could well be living in the 24th century if he's in Tibet. Who knows what the future is going to be? You know, nobody knows. But uh, uh, let's take the average guy, you know, walking around. He's, he's an American, you know. He's American, 20th century American. And there aren't many people listening to us tonight, I'm sure, that we're born and grew up before the 20th century. That'd be pretty old. Uh, but the most part, the most people that, that are around are from the 20th century. 
This is a fact. Even a little tiny baby is a 20th century man. I mean, even if he's six days old or five minutes old, he's a 20th century man. Uh, 21st century men, actually, will not begin to be produced till roughly uh, 1990. In other words, if you were born this very day, uh, you would be something like, uh, well, close to 30 years old when the year... 2000 comes, and you would be very well established in the 20th century, uh, philosophically in every other way. You agree with that? Uh, the 21st century type, the true 20th century, 21st century type of man, you know, the guy that uh, will, uh, his whole thinking and his way of being will have been established in the 21st century, obviously will not be born till sometime after 1990. In other words, if he was born, say, in 1997, uh, he's too young, really, to be affected by the 21st century. And by the time the 21st century, uh, by the 20th century, rather, he's too young to be affected by the 20th century. And by the time the 21st century comes, he will then be a growing up person, and uh, he will have grown up, and, and, and his thinking will have been formed by the 21st century. Uh, <laughs> I'm just curious, at what point in that century, in the 21st century, which is now rapidly approaching, Will they begin to refer to the 21st century, or the 20th century, to the 20th century, as men of the past? At what point do you think will people begin to say, well, of course, he's got a typical 20th century mind? <laughs> <You know? laughs> oh, wow, you know, uh, we've finally, uh, we finally uh, outgrown those 20th century mores. Because, you know, there had to have been a time in the 20th century, our century, when people began to say things like, uh, oh, my God, that guy, look at, look at, uh, poor old Aki, I mean, a typical 19th century mind, this guy, you know. <laughs> and it must have been a time when they started to talk like that. But prior to that time, they never referred to it because they were all 19th century guys, you know. After all, in 1910, it would have been very curious for a guy to say, oh, boy, he's got a typical 19th century mind, you know because everybody that would be walking around that would be able to say a thing like that would have already had a 19th century mind. You see what I'm saying here? So the point being here, at what point in time did they begin to refer to the 19th, did we, the 20th century, begin to refer to the 19th century as the distant, outmoded past? Good point. <laughs> a very good point. Uh, and I've never heard much said about that, but there must have been time when it started to pop up. You know, guy says, oh, wow, uh, we're certainly glad that we're now in, you know, we're the 20th century, the fantastic century. The 19th century is this poor outmoded century. They went around wearing button shoes and, and uh, you know, they wore these funny mustaches and stuff like that. And they, they had a curious way of look. Uh, they, they looked funny and they wore these stovepipe hats and, and uh, they did these strange things like, uh, you know, they went to civil wars and all that jazz. Uh, we don't do any of that stuff anymore. They wrote these uh, romantic melodramas like uh, Eva Crossing the Ice and East Lynn and, and, uh, and all of that 19th century world. When did that begin to be a, a, a total entity that was out of the past? You know, it was a totally past and gone. There's very few of us listening here or being up and walking around at this time who could say definitely that uh, that he remembers any of that stuff? You know, man, that's that's way out out of uh, anybody' experience that I know. The 19th century. Well, all right. Now, 
Now we're, we're, we're getting down to this thing. Here we are. We're 20th century men, right? All of us listening tonight, walking around, doing these things. Just curious. There's one thing that, that all of us have got to face. What makes the 20th century man very different from the 19th century man? I wonder how many... Now listen carefully to this art because you may, I want you, want you to give me an opinion on this. How many movies do you think that the average person, alive, adult... Now when I say adult, I mean anybody over, say, 20. I'm talking about anybody over 20. Let's say anybody over 18. We'll just say that. Anybody over 18, we'll consider an adult, right? Uh, how many movies has this person seen in his lifetime? Of all types, I'm talking about watching old movies on TV. I'm talking about watching dramas. We'll conclude even dramas on TV, you know, stuff like canon and all that. In other words, how many artificially created uh, life situations. That's what you can call a drama, an artificial life he's looking at uh, through any kind of a medium, like a, a screen or a TV set. How many do you think you've seen in your lifetime, numerically? That's an interesting question. Would you, would you, would you care to guess, any of you? This is W.O.R. New York. Speaking of uh, artificially created worlds, this is W.O.R. New York, <laughs> an RKO station. And, and we accept show... In other words, that all the whole thing that we, we generically call showbiz or amusement or entertainment or whatever you want to call it, theater, you can give it many different names, has become such an integral part of our lives, all these artificial things that we're watching all the time, that a vast portion of the press is given over to this, as if it's real, as if it's really real. Uh, to most people, Robert Redford is probably much realer than their cousin Clifford, because they see him a hell of a lot more, you know? <laughs> and, uh, yeah, that's, I mean, it, 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 it's, the reality has been curiously distorted in our century. To, to many people, Johnny Carson is a much closer... Uh, acquaintance. They know everything. They even know his various pieces of apparel. You see Johnny Carson up, you know what kind of suit he wears all the time, various types of... Oh, he's wearing that green tie again. Hey, hey Madge, uh, Johnny's wearing that green tie. Remember a couple of weeks ago he wore that tie? And they're all watching this thing. They couldn't, for the life of them, tell you what their Aunt Clara wears. But they all know what... Uh, what Carson wears, they know his very, they know uh, the various loves and lives of Ed McMay, and they know <laughs> all his stuff. They, <laughs> and they probably haven't gotten a letter from home for 107 years. I mean, their, their, uh, their, you know, their uncle uh, Klutzmeyer may have uh, taken a balloon trip across Bulgaria, and they wouldn't even know it. See, but they know all about Johnny and Jane Fonda and the whole world. See, so the point I'm making here is, is, is the 20th century men of which we are part of. It's difficult to know whether or not, when you draw back on your memory of your life, whether you're really drawing back on things which have actually happened to you, or an endless succession of millions of memories from half-digested films, movies, God knows what. <laughs> it's fascinating. 
and, and so, so the only point that I'm trying to make here, you know, this is not, not the, the uh, I'm sure that, uh, uh, you know, in my lifetime, I mean, uh, that's all, uh, all I ever knew. I mean, my whole life was movies, uh, radio, television. It's always there. Like, you know, it's always, 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 always there. You movies all around, the radio, the television, the whole bit. And, and, and I don't think there's many adult people now who, who don't remember, who, you know, who can say honestly that this is not true of their life. And so your, your attitudes have been profoundly affected by these things. I wonder how many of us are trying to make real life fit the movies. And we keep getting bugged at real human beings. <laughs> In other words, real human beings simply do not act like Gary Cooper. I mean, real policemen simply aren't like Marty Milner. And it bothers us. It really bothers us. Because <laughs> we want them to be that way. We know how they should be. We've seen endless cases of, of uh, you know, movie. And gangsters are so colorful in real life, in, in, in movies. There many are. There has never been a dull gangster written. And so this is one of the reasons why I think a lot of us are a little bit fascinated by guys like The Godfather. Now, it's again a movie version of it. But the real thing is often un un indescribably dull and vicious. We don't see that. And so, you know, I'm sitting here thinking about that salamander. Waking up a hundred years. Give me a little salamander waking up music, please. Yes, uh, a number, no, no, number two, I think. Number two, please. That's right. That's it. Bring it on there, please. No, no, start it over again. It's got to it's come right from the start. Uh, I re reset it. It's got to come on real big. That's why salamander is waking up into the modern world. Just bring it out. Yeah, yeah. At last, he's awake. He's looking around and trying to make the scene. Yeah. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. Oh, the salamander missed the train. And now he's walking. Bye-bye, the bear missed the train. The bear missed the train. Oh, the bear missed the train. And now he's walking. Hold it, hold it, hold it there, I bet. Now, that's what that song means, friend. The bear missed the train. That's a symbolic train. <laughs> and, 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 you know, when I saw, when I read that piece, you know, about the bear, or rather about the salamander waking up in that block of ice, it hit me, you know? One hundred years have passed. Now, they just say a hundred years. It could be five hundred. Apparently, they know it's at least a hundred years. That salamander's waking up. <gasps> His eyeballs. He flicks his eyes. Boy, it was a long way. Looks around. Well, now, it's obvious that even Soviet miners don't look like they did a hundred years ago. <laughs> what the hell do you think he thinks he's in? What conceivable scene could this be? You know, this concept is always... Now, I'm sure that animals... I'm sure of this, even though this is theory. I'm sure that animals don't relate to time like we do. That's one thing that man has created, the concept of time. And I don't think there's no animal at all that ever conceivably was aware of the fact that there were turtles that came before him and there will be turtles after he's gone. Can he even conceive of being gone? 
funny man, you know. He's got this thing about time. Time. T-I-M-E. Time. We need centuries. Are there such things as centuries in nature? No. <laughs> it just goes on. The rocks melt. They grow again. The ocean dries up and then it grows again. But we came along, we divided it up in these neat little sections. This is the 19th century. Numbers. We've invented numbers. Even. In fact, you know, we call this 19. We'll call this 20. We'll call the next one 21. We live in 20. <laughs> you see, we're, by saying 20, we're all we're acknowledging that there will be a 21, right? Do you buy that? All right, at all? Well, here's this, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this thing, see, uh, time in this little salamander waking up, see, looking around, how did you, have a hundred years passed for a salamander? Or has it just been men? Do salamanders know of years? I mean, is it, can you say that he's passed a hundred years? Or can you only say that a hundred years worth of men have grown and died while he was asleep? Because <laughs> no, this is a man concept, no salamander. Is going to sit around and say, hey, that was back in uh, 1963. Sure, I remember that. Uh, yeah, of course. That was when uh, Johnson was president, right? No way. No salamander can do this. But the one thing that uh, I'm going to ask you a question, you know, this, this uh, has always been uh, part of man's thing, uh, this time scene. It's, it's certainly been part of our entertainment world. You mean you haven't seen the Wizard of Id? A kingdom of some kind. And uh, they have uh, jesters and they have court uh, executioners and all that. And again, they're speaking always in contemporary terms. What character is that? No, no. No, that's not a contemporary comic strip. <laughs> okay. So, so in other words, that time thing has, al has always been part of of, the, of that so-called pop world of the comic strip. In other words, people are always fascinated by the past. They're fascinated by the future. But they can't face either of them without contemporary references. In other words, if, if the Wizard of Iz really did talk like somebody living in, say, the year, uh, let's say, uh, the year 872 in King Arthur's day, <laughs> it would be almost unintelligible to us. So he's always supposed to be making things like, uh, you know, the Wizard of Id. Id is a contemporary term, obviously. A contemporary New York Freudian term, really, primarily. Uh, and almost outdated already. But the, but the facts are that, that what character was based on that whole concept, that, that salamander concept, of reappearing on the Earth 500 years after his time of living. And incidentally, I believe this is a secret desire that all of us have. Every last one of us would love to be able to return to Earth a thousand years after we lived to see what it was like. Do you agree, Jerry, that you would like to do this? How about you, Art? Would you? I mean, I think it's a universal desire. I think that's as universal as any desire that man has. In other words, a kind of a desire for immortality, you know, to, to kind of live forever, see, so you can see what it really got to be like. <laughs> and the, uh, all right, now I'll ask you a, a question. What famous, what famous novelist, uh, famous writer, in fact, one of the, his, his, great, uh, his great classics was based on 
a 19th century, it wasn't 20th, because he wrote in the 19th century, based on a 19th century man returning magically to the days of, uh, of the, you know, the days of knighthood. And a play was built on that. A play, a, a novel, uh, they even made it into a movie, but it was a famous book. What was the book? Huh? No, H.G. Wells. This guy was much more hip than Wells and a much better writer than Wells. Wells was always referring to the future and all that sort of thing, but, but the Wells, to me, was a, was a second-rate character compared to this guy. And he went back in time in this particular... And I'll, I'll give you a clue. He was an American writer. Oh, you surely must know this. I can't believe it. It was an American uh, with Yankee ingenuity and know-how returning to the court. What's that? That is correct. Mark Twain and a, a, uh, yeah, a Yankee at King Arthur's court. Yeah, a Yan uh, what, a Connecticut Yankee. Yeah, that's right. And why did he call it a Connecticut Yankee? Well, of course, he was, uh, he was living in Connecticut at the time he wrote this. Hartford is where, where he was living. But the, 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 uh, the whole idea of going back in time is, is just as intriguing to us as going forward in time. This is interesting. A lot of people would secretly like to be suddenly magically wake up tomorrow morning and be alive at the Battle of Bull Run, <laughs> you know? And, uh, yeah, well, no, I just, just, uh, or, or to, to uh, sure, what do you think movies are about? Uh, actually, what I'm saying here is that movies provide a, an artificial way of doing that. The most popular movie of all time is based on the mid-19th century. What is that movie? Well, of course, uh, Gone with the Wind. And so people can sit in that movie and, and, and vicariously live the 19th century and see this whole thing, you see, uh, happen over again. Well, now, let's take, let's take even contemporary big popular movies. Almost all of them uh, play with the time sense. Take Sound of Music. Sound of Music is returning to Middle Europa, of, of the, like almost an entirely different world, a different century, really. They're out there in the Alps yodeling and all that stuff, you know. has very little to do with walking around 6th Avenue and fighting for a cab. So uh, uh, even the time is a different time and a different world. And I think this is one of the reasons why those movies are fantastically successful. I think why 2001 was successful, really successful, was because it was purportedly done with great detail, you know, as if suddenly you were in the world of 2001, and you could sit there for this whole two hours, you know, be involved in all this fantastic stuff that was going to be happening in the year 2001. Now, if he had named that 1957, I don't think it would have done it. <laughs> no way. Yeah, but it's 2001. Uh, and, and so many of our, our literary classics are based on this. The back in the days when, when George Orwell wrote eight, 1984, this was like, you know, people really dug this because 1984 seemed to be so far in the future that it was very exotic. Well, now to us, 1984 is just a few years from now, you know, and it doesn't seem particularly exotic, but he wrote this book back in the 19, roughly the 1940s, roughly. So 1984 seemed like an immense distance from us today, then. Uh, just as today, the year 2001, when the movie came out, which was a few years ago, 
that seems like a very, very long time from now. But actually, 2001, figure how many years this is now. Figure it. It's all right. What is it? It's about 28, uh, 27, 28 years. That isn't particularly long. <laughs> I mean, so it doesn't have that. That uh, now, had he named that uh, 2101, that might have been for uh, that movie would have been you know even more exciting. But 2001 just seems too close. Uh, and 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 so the time thing back and forth. You mean you still don't know who that character was that was based? What well, uh, he's the most famous science fiction comic character of them all. Can't believe that you wouldn't know who that is. In fact, even the title of the comic strip said that. X in the 25th century. You mean I'm surrounded by ignorance? It's unbelievable. You mean neither of you ever heard of Buck Rogers? <laughs> I mean, that's nothing to do with the past. You know, that strip just stopped running a few years ago, you know. It's not like it's out of the past, particularly. And it was called Buck Rogers in the 25th century. Now, now, what was his actual, what was his actual uh, uh, profession? Well, he was a mining engineer. That's why he was down in this mine when <laughs> this thing happened. What was Flash Gordon's profession? You didn't know he had a profession, did you? Well, all right, what was what was Superman's profession? What was he? Yeah, he was a, he was a newspaper reporter, right? Which by the way says what we think about the press. Secretly we think the press can do anything. <laughs> you know, uh, it's it's uh, had he been say a a railroad uh, engineer or a ship captain, I don't think, you know, Superman, I don't think he would have made it as big because we secretly have a feeling that the press is a magical thing. And it's always truthful. And it's uh, it can destroy mountains and fights evil and, and faster than the speed of a bullet and all the rest of it. So, uh, you know, here we are living in the middle of the late, not the middle any longer, the last third of the 20th century. And it won't be long before people will be looking back at our time right now, the 70s, and saying, God, you know, uh, people were very different in those days. Now look at pictures of us. Now say, look, look at how, how strange they dressed. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, look, at, look, at the, look at the hair. What was all this hair thing? They're going to say, look at, look at the hair all over them. Look at that. And, and you notice the sad, melancholy, poetic look they have. Yes. Hello, fellow salamanders. In this great psychic block of ice, frozen throughout all eternity. How can we tell them how it was to be alive in the last third of the 20th century? Just like, yes, it was the best of times, it was the worst of times. In short, it was like all times. What was that line from? A yeah, famous novel. When was it written? Not in our century. Which means that all centuries are ultimately the same for the walking around person. 
the best of times. Why the best of times? Because you're alive. And it was the worst of times. Why? Well, we have Vietnam's water gates, corruption, evil, murder, all of it all around us. In short, it was like all times. And so it will be. The person of the 25th century is going to see around him crime, corruption, and murder. Evil, and all the rest of it. Because he's dealing with man. It will also be the best of times, because he will be alive for that moment. And who wrote that line? Well, I'll have to give you it. I'll tell you this right away, for, for starters. I don't want to leave you hanging too much. Uh, one word, uh, it was not Earl Wilson. No, no. It was not Leonard Lyons. Nor was it Jimmy Breslin, one of the great thinkers of our time. <laughs> nor Normie Mailer. Oh, no. Because they always believed it was the worst of times, inevitably. Who was it? Mona Jaffe? No. Who was it? 